Okay, so just to recap real quick, oil's above 100, gas is above 70, coal's tight, rising interest rates, rising inflation, dogs and cats sleeping together. Oh my gosh, energy world. Yeah, what I was just saying, I just gave this whole spiel. Uh, we didn't have any audio, so you guys didn't hear it, so I'll repeat it. But just the... Um, Talk about how young you were again. <laughs> you seem to enjoy that, but go ahead. Back in my day, how, how, you know, I was just a young lad <laughs> getting into the oil industry. Uh, back around 2010, you uh, you just had low oil price or low uh, natural gas prices, just because there was just an abundance of natural gas. And so, when you see seven to eight dollar natural gas, it's just so foreign to you that I didn't even think that that could exist. And I was just talking about the uh, rapid acceleration in the price of natural gas because we were in Vegas for a few days. Wasn't paying attention to markets, um, you know, recovered from Vegas, got back on Twitter. And then all of a sudden people are talking about $7 natural gas and you're just like, what the hell happened? And it doesn't. So now I'm going to feel old as I'll get out. I've run investment models where $7 gas flat was the downside case. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, yeah, that's July the, uh, 2007. That's yes. the, that's the stark contrast of, um, and, you know, that's only a few years difference of, you know, when I got into the industry, only a few years before that you had high natural gas prices. But um, ever since then, they've just been a uh, low price. And we actually talked to John Arnold about that on our podcast when he came on because we talked about, you know, there was really this window for him to have the volatility in natural gas prices and make money. He's like, and you just didn't have that the uh, subsequent decade was shelled because there was just too much natural gas out there. So um, I know there's got to be some natural gas traders out there right now that are happy to see some volatility and making money off of it. But have you, you know, that was real quick. Let me cut you off. Cause I was, I was uh, texting with some folks that um, yesterday and today, the mineral and royalty conference, the big one mm -hmm. uh, has been in Houston. And one of the big takeaways yesterday was all the banks coming out and saying, hey, prices are higher, so you have to post margin. But the Black-Scholes model that actually prices an option, and in effect, that's what you're doing when you're posting margin. Yeah. One of the five things that influences the price of the option is volatility. And volatility has been through the roof recently. So margin is higher even than you would expect with seven and eight dollar gas because volatility has been so much higher. Mm. So this is kind of a second level effect happening out there that I don't think I appreciated till I heard that. But somebody texted me that that's that was kind of all the talk yesterday. So hedging is costing you a lot more these days. Yeah. What do you think is is well, is there a fundamental driver for this run up in prices? You know, my thoughts on it. Like you have a lot of smart people out there that count molecules and they have all this fundamental analysis. And my personal opinion is that none of it means shit. I mean, when you start swinging to extreme ends of commodity prices, it's almost always driven by some sort of speculation in the market, just like negative $37 oil didn't make sense at the time, but it got driven down. Now you come here and you're just like, okay, we have this run up in prices. Is there anything, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to Energy Cynic because I've really enjoyed following his uh, internal uh, demise that he has. <laughs> he seems to be falling apart because he's like, there's no way this makes sense. <laughs> like, There's no fundamentals that are driving this. 
uh, is there anything in your mind that, it, or is this just a lag in the market? And um, well, historically, I've always gotten natural gas wrong, so I totally missed the big decline in natural gas because the oil price run and the oil price drilling and just totally missed associated natural gas because that was the biggest thing from call it 2010, 11, 12 to call it 2019 pre right before COVID type stuff is so much, you know, a third or 40% of the production out of a typical shale oil well is actually associated natural gas. Mm -hmm. So there was just a ton of it. And I mean, it was okay if the natural gas had to be flared because the oil was so valuable. So I totally, I totally missed all that. So with that as the disclaimer, two things potentially are, are happening. One backs up your point, one backs up, uh, or one backs up the fundamentalists who say natural gas should be seven. Believe it or not, Colin, there was a time when the weather mattered to natural gas, <laughs> when it was colder than it should be in the winter, people use more natural gas, natural gas prices went up in the summer when it's hotter, prices would go up because we use a lot of natural gas to burn electricity that leads to air conditioning. So weather patterns have been such over the last call it month, whereby uh, it's been unexpected. So that's actually caused more demand for natural gas and then on your point that it's emotion and all that, we got a freaking war going on, a land war in Europe right now that's basically being fought over Russian natural gas. Mm -hmm. um, kind of to that end, too, we saw last week Accelerate Energy, who has the big LNG ships, went public, priced above the range at 24, has traded as high as 28. I think it's fallen down a buck and a half this morning just with all of energy coming down. So that's your euphoria, that's your hype, that's your emotion. I mean, we right talked there. about that on last week's show, that IPO and what it meant for um, energy companies being able to access the public markets. And you said that there was going to be a lot of eyes on it. It was going to be pretty telling if the market was ready to support or absorb um, a public equity offering. And it seems like it went pretty well. Yeah, it went well. The The... Folks involved are all reporting that energy, this this deal was well-received, and actually it may be broader than just LNG tankers. The energy was uh, was being looked at favorably. So, you know, give us a good old school uh, EMP company, and let's see if we can get it public and figure out exactly where we are uh, in the capital markets. But you know, one point I want to bring up while we're just talking the big energy macro and the higher um, product prices right now, there's always a disconnect when we talk renewable prices and hydrocarbon prices. And I just want to be clear about this is at the end of the day, solar panels, wind turbines all burn hydrocarbons to build those things, right? I mean, Solar panels are made in China. China, two-thirds of their energy is driven by coal, I believe. So coal prices affect solar panel prices. It doesn't happen immediately. So if you're sitting there saying, well, gas is seven or eight and electricity prices are up and oil prices are up, therefore hydrocarbons are bad and look how cheap 
renewables are. Well, renewables, you're pricing based on stuff already planted in the ground, already generating electricity. And that's always been the case. The operating costs for renewables are pretty cheap. It's the front end, you know, price to buy the solar panels going in. Yeah, that's matters. always that's so, always the argument that I get in with people on Twitter is like, yeah, well, once you have a solar array or wind farm installed, there are no input costs. It's harvesting wind or solar. And I'm like, yeah, but to be able to build out capacity, that's when it's dependent on manufacturing and supply chain and other variables such as coal, natural gas. Uh, diesel. I don't think people realize how much diesel is consumed to mine um, and to be able to run. Because if you're in the middle of the Congo, you really can't just plug into an electric socket to, to run your well, mining my, equipment. My thing is, is, when I worked on drilling rigs, I'd always laugh about how circular the process was. Like We kept ourselves in business because we burned so much diesel that we had to extract oil <laughs> to go uh, process and refine and make more diesel. And I mean... Yeah. Have you ever seen a solar powered earth mover or excavator or any mining equipment? Like you're so far away from um, being able to uh, mine without hydrocarbons. So, and, the, and my point in bringing this up is not to trash renewables, it's not at all. It's just the narrative being said that, oh, renewables are cheaper, I think is being a little disingenuous. Yes. And that's what we need to be cognizant of because this is. This is a time, I think, where the world is seeing exactly how important um, energy security is. And it goes back to the point I say on this podcast a lot. You know, people die when energy is expensive and people die when we have to buy energy from authoritarian dictators. And so anyway, as we're thinking through this, as we're having a discussion, let's be real. Let's be thoughtful about this and have intellectually honest discussions about these things because it's fucking important. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So this isn't a Kardashian show. Okay. This is energy. Rivian CEO. If you don't know Rivian, um, what's their market cap? Something crazy, like 80 billion, billion, $80 billion yeah, or something like that. I mean, it at one point it was a bigger market cap than like Ford and like Toyota. Twice, twice the size of Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rivian CEO uh, warns of a looming electric vehicle battery shortage, says that the uh, battery shortage will make the current semiconductor shortage upending the audio, the auto industry feel like a small appetizer. So he says that they're comfortable in their ability to produce 25,000 vehicles in 2022, but that's cutting their projection down by 50% from 50,000 vehicles produced. And, Here's my thing. He says that lithium it, lithium shortages are the main reason for the battery shortage. I've been assured by people on Twitter over the last two to three years that you have Moore's law, you know, prices are coming down. There are going to be no shortages of uh, raw materials and hiccups in the supply chain. I mean, people seem to think and operate in a vacuum and don't consider all these um external factors that can can affect EVs getting adoption. And back to your point, when you have rising commodity prices and inflation across the board, there's just no way that EVs escape this. And there's some things that I'm super um, bullish on, like uh, uh, Lilac Solutions. 
has this new technology that I'm super bullish on that can extract lithium out of brine water. And you think about how much brine we produce in the United States, just in the oil field. Um, you have things coming like online like that, that can potentially fill that void and produce lithium. But to all the people that have told us for years that EVs will be able to scale. And here's another thing too. I've always thought that you can either scale batteries for electric vehicles or you can scale batteries for commercial energy product uh, projects like solar and wind have a hard time believing that you can do both simultaneously and you really gotta you gotta choose one in my opinion and i think the one that you choose is evs um but you know those those battery supply issues are going to affect renewables heavily as well. They're intermittent power sources that need batteries to be commercially viable. Well, we know there's a problem with mining and we know there's going to be a shortage because the Mexican government just nationalized lithium. And say what you want about the Mexican government. When there's going to be a shortage, they're on the front end of nationalizing <laughs> stuff. You know, uh, I grew up down in Richmond, Texas, and uh, there's still some celebrations about expatriation day or whatever, when they kicked out the oil companies and whatever that was, 1928, nationalized the <laughs> oil business in in Mexico. So, yeah, you it it's and again, the point is not to bat. I mean, you're big pro electric vehicles. I mean, yeah. you think they're going to win out or win a big market share just because of performance. I drove a Tesla for six years. It was a great car. I mean, again, we're not bashing yeah, Chuck, it. it. Chuck was... drove a Tesla and then also had a old H2 Hummer too, just to, he said, Whichever... it depended, depending on which client or LP he was taking <laughs> out, he'd either drive the Hummer or the uh, Tesla. <laughs> no, absolutely. But again, it's just, we need to be thoughtful. We need to be thinking about this. We need to be having intellectual honest discussions about it because this stuff really really matters and and you know where it matters is we can spend i'll make these numbers up a trillion dollars a year decarbonizing or we could spend a hundred billion a year decarbonizing and being more thoughtful about it and those dollars actually matter mm -hmm. you know and we 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 need to do this as a nation and we need to do it as adults having discussions we don't need to be doing this with memes yeah yeah i don't agree with that <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh you, you can have your uh piece on that thought there, there I, we go. I don't agree with that but there we go so um go ahead uh, i was gonna say uh let's take our moment to celebrate no more mask on airplanes no more masks on airplanes uh you know you saw the frustration when we flew to Vegas last week, you know, the guy that gave us masks, I was just talking mad shit about it. And you yeah, can tell a police officer or <laughs> yeah, security yeah, guard. Security guard. You can just tell like everyone was so over it. And uh, yeah, saw the uh, mask mandate get lifted on airplanes. And I think it was way overdue personally over the last 12 hours. My personal enjoyment has been derived from scrolling on Twitter and seeing people melting down in the comment sections on Twitter about how could you do this to people? You're putting lives at danger and are you going to refund my flight? And uh, anyways, it's it's nice that so we, the, got, we got past that part of life. So the thing I love is somebody tweeted out, 
the pilot just came on and said that we no longer had to wear a mask. And a stewardess took her mask off, came over, sneezed on me and my child and said, this is MAGA country. So did you see that? And the New York Times reaches out and says, tell me about your experience. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, that was satire. The New York Times reporter sends it my DMs like, hey, can you connect over phone to talk about your experience? Yeah. And he sends a message back. He's like, I'm very concerned about how y'all source stories when this was clearly satire and just dunked on this reporter for the New York Times. So, Well, the, the other interesting thing, and I'm blanking on the the just the federal judge's name that, uh, that <laughs> ruled here, but she's 35 years old. So everybody's been trashing, you know, oh, this 35-year-old is, uh, you know, unelected, unresponsive to democracy. Yeah, I don't understand why people were including her age in there. One, what is one of the most common bitches in complaints in politics is the age of politicians like we don't want 75 80 year old politicians in there and then okay you have a 35 year old that makes a decision and you're like oh she's 35 35 that's older than i am 32 yeah like how how can you complain about someone being 35 and why is it even relevant like hopefully hopefully you can make sound judgments when you're a 35 year old adult well, so, you know, you hear 35 and all the griping about that and you hear all this putting people at risk. I haven't heard, I haven't seen one tweet or article talk about what her ruling said and why she's wrong about it. Because she went back to the 1942 act that gives the CDC permission to rule in this. And it was the uh, definition of Santa, uh, Santa, sanitation i believe is the clause they were using to justify this and she just said that's way too broad it doesn't fit under that definition i haven't seen any criticism of that i've seen stuff like well she's never uh she's never been the lead prosecutor in a trial or anything she clerked for judge thomas on the supreme court i mean how many people clerk for a supreme court justice i mean I, okay, maybe you don't like Clarence Thomas, but at the end of the day, I think if you've clerked for a Supreme Court justice, you're qualified to be a federal judge. I agree. So, yeah. hey, real quick. Yeah. Um, I was just on Twitter, and it reminded me, we don't have this as an official story to talk about today. All right. But we got to talk about Elon Musk's bid for Twitter. Um, real quick, what's your take on that? I know, you know we were following it. I'm in the middle of the club in Vegas at like two in the morning and I see him put out the announcement that he was putting in an offer to buy Twitter. And I'm like in the middle of this club about to cry because you know how much I love <laughs> Elon and just how much he's trolling uh, not only Twitter, but the SEC. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, 40 chess being played here. And uh, what's what's your quick take on it? What do you think is going to happen for somebody that far on the spectrum? to be able to troll America with an Elvis Presley song, Love Me Tender, <laughs> in reference to maybe a tender offer is coming. That's just epic. Yeah. That's so great. It's such a good time to be alive. It is. Know? I feel very fortunate to be alive in this uh, in this era. And I don't care what you say, CEOs of companies can both scale and build big companies while trolling people on Twitter um, and doing it through memes, Chuck. <laughs> so, all right. 
in the show. Who do we got as finger of the week? Uh, right here. All right, explain this finger of the week to me, Chuck. So, what was that? Believe it or not, I am not giving the Easter Bunny the finger of the week. I'm giving the finger of the week to Megan Hayes, who is a White House press official. And this is just horrible. We finally have an unguarded moment with the President of the United States and the press discussing a very pertinent issue, Afghanistan. And she comes over in an Easter Bunny conf, uh, costume breaks up the discussion and leads the president away. There's so much to unpeel here. Um, <laughs> number one, I mean, why are you dressed up as the Easter bunny? Yeah, exactly. it's, like, it's like a secret, like operation mission. <laughs> Probably. Uh, number two, doesn't the president look weak right there? I mean, who's in charge? So GW just asked, why does the president look afraid of the Easter bunny? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And 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 I, I mean, I think this is just encapsulating what we've seen from the Biden administration. Nobody thinks he has it together, that his staff is actually running the show. And that's the same staff griping about an unelected judge saying we can't wear masks. We don't have to wear masks on a plane. Yeah. So anyway, not a not a not a big fan of this. Yes. Yeah. The finger of the week. All right. It wasn't Elizabeth Warren. Wasn't Justin Justin Trudeau? Uh, was hold on, the, we've got to give props to Elizabeth Warren because we generally disagree with her on yeah. most things. She wrote an op-ed this weekend where she actually said Democrats are going to get crushed in the uh, November midterm elections. And I'm not political. I'm going to vote for the Libertarians like I always do. But I have to agree with Senator Warren. That was great insight, Senator hey, Warren. She's she getting some brownie points <laughs> getting some brownie VDE, points. going from getting finger of the week four weeks in a row to getting props that's a hell of a comeback story for her so one last thing uh tomorrow's podcast that i'm dropping is with nathan magoo of base uh, and what's interesting about this because i have not seen this story anywhere is we had winter storm yuri remember february of 2021 the grid almost shut down we were calling it burcott mm -hmm. The, the big epic shit show that was. So the legislature, Texas legislature, passed a bill to, in effect, fix the grid. And it's Senate Bill 3. I forget what the House bill is on it. But one of the things they did is they said, okay, the Railroad Commission has to ensure the natural gas supply chain. Because that was a problem. Natural gas did not deliver all the volumes that it should. I mean, and so it's things like winterize, et cetera. The unintended consequence in that, that the railroad commission did is they put certain thresholds on uh, natural gas. They said, if your field uh, generates more than 50 MCF per day, you've got to winterize and you're deemed critical, meaning ERCOT cannot shut you down. So that's a, and you have to be producing when the shit hits the fan, right? Well, that sounds great. But think if you're a massive water flood and you take 35 megawatts of power to generate 52 MCF. I mean, that 52 MCF may generate 
a quarter of a megawatt of power, mm -hmm. but you need 35 megawatts to actually generate it. That's the asset we want shut down, right? When yeah. the shit's hitting the fan. And under the way the law is drafted and the way the Railroad Commission is interpreting it and putting rules in place, unfortunately, that big massive water flood is going to be producing. So if you just put some numbers to this, the largest draw ever on ERCOT was 75 gigawatts, and that was August of 2019. People that fit into this camp, big water floods that way you use way more power than their natural gas could actually generate, maybe two, three gigawatts of power out there that previously ERCOT could just shut that stuff off yeah. and not have that draw on the system. Now it's deemed critical and it's going to have to be producing. So hopefully this story, everybody will listen to it and we'll get the word out because the Railroad Commission's got to fix this because August is coming. And uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, you know, a, a gigawatt, two gigawatts when you're drawing 75, but two or three uh, percent when the shit's hitting the fan could crash the grid. Well, that's what I was saying. I mean, you go back to the winter storm and that would make a huge impact yeah. <laughs> during a time like that. Yeah. You know, it may not make a huge impact on any given day, but in a time of crisis like that, where you have so much stress and so much demand on load, like those things matter. And so ultimately what you're saying is that now these uh, water floods are going to have to stay online, even though they're drawing so much more electricity than what they're able to provide or produce. You know, there's no energy efficiency there and it's going to create yeah. all this unneeded stress on the grid during yeah. vulnerable and, times. And just imagine if people suffer hardships, the, headline from the new york times is going to be texans keep producing their oil despite hardships of people yeah, I mean, so, oil and gas will be attacked and, re and regardless if they're producing or not producing and so i don't want to throw a stone at the railroad commission because i don't think this is intentional this is second order effects of things but come on guys we're texans we're the headquarters of the energy business we ought to be able to figure this out and and make it right so mm -hmm. It's people, an important podcast. Tomorrow. People need to get around whiteboards and talk with subject matter experts and say, okay, we have this idea. What are the second order effects? And you can draw a fucking flow chart, whatever you need to do and say, okay, if we do this, what's an unintended consequence? Okay, well, we make this law. Now all these CO2 floods have to stay on, which is actually going to create more stress and draw. You just exactly. got to think, think through things holistically. And, um, and, and I haven't seen this story anywhere. So, you know, People need to be writing about this story and we need to get it straight. And I think eventually the Railroad Commission will get it right because they're having hearings because you can apply to get an exception. And everybody, Oxyon down, has applied and said, hey, we want an exception. We use way more power than we can actually generate. But they've all been denied. So mm. they're all going to hearings. That's great. They'll figure it out. But August is coming. August yeah. is right around the corner. And that's. Yeah. You know, we all think of Winter Storm Uri, but at the end of the day, the big events that stress the grid are August yeah. when it's heat. When so. it gets hot. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, appreciate y'all tuning in uh, for this week's episode of BDE. Had a lot to cover. I'm sure this next week is going to be uh, just as eventful and exciting. 
Um, if you're up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's a Bitcoin meetup going on uh, that Digital Wildcatters is sponsoring. Uh, a few people from our team will be up there. So if you're in Tulsa, go check it out. Uh, free beers on us, giving out lots of uh, uh, T-shirts and hats and other swag too. So you get some free stuff. We'll catch you guys next week.